You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 85 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. And thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. ECPI, exempt current pension income, this is what it is all about. This percentage determines how much of the income within your SMSF is exempt from tax. So the higher this percentage, the better, the less tax you pay. So I asked Melanie Dunn, the head of technical services at Acurium, how to maximize ECPI. Here's her answer. about maximising exempt current pension income in an SMSF, it's very much now looking at planning ahead. So we know the ATO don't like us making decisions in arrears. So what we instead need to do is think strategically around exempt current pension income. And this involves looking at the transactions we're going to make in the financial year and understanding how the actuary calculates the exempt income proportion. So when we think about the exempt income proportion that you'll get on your actuarial certificate, it's the average value of retirement phase liabilities divided by the average value of total superannuation liabilities. And it's really how we can manipulate this fractional, achieve the greatest value out of this fraction that will help you maximise ECPI. It's important to understand that this ECPI calculation is based on a daily weighted average. And that means when transactions occur, the timing of the transactions actually has an impact on the result that we provide you. So to maximise your ECPI, we want to maximise retirement phase liabilities and minimise non-retirement phase liabilities. So when we look at our retirement phase liabilities, that's our account-based pensions, market-linked income streams, TRISs in retirement phase, anything that's going to increase that balance on average over the year we want to do as early in the year as possible to increase that average. So if we're going to commence a pension, doing it at 1 July instead of 30th of June will help increase your exempt income proportion. Similarly, anything that's going to reduce your pension balances, such as a pension payment or a lump sum, let's do that as late in the year as possible. When we look at the non-retirement phase liabilities, we want those as small as possible on average. So anything that's going to increase our accumulation balance Let's do that as late in the year as possible, so contributions towards the end of the year. And if we've got anything that will reduce our non-retirement phase balances, let's do that as early in the financial year as possible, so any accumulation withdrawals at the start of the year. Essentially think more in retirement phase on average, less in non-retirement phase on average to get a higher exempt income proportion from your actuary. And obviously we can't manipulate this in arrears. So we need to think about it in advance. Talk to your clients. When are they making their pension payments? Can we make them towards the end of a financial year or can we make them towards the end of each month? All of these little things will help add up to maximise your ECPI. But in particular, if the fund has any material lumpy odd transactions, so the member might come and say, I want to withdraw 100000 to help do up my house, then you know those big transactions are the ones that will have the biggest impact. So pension commencements, pension commutations, big lump sums or withdrawals. Really think strategically around when you time those transactions. To illustrate that it's not just the transactions that can have an impact on ECPI, we've got an example that looks at reversionary death benefits. So where you have an income stream 
does whether it was set up as automatically reversionary or not automatically reversionary make an impact on ECPI? So at 1 July 2018, let's say we've got Jill and Paul in an SMSF. Jill's got 970000 in an account-based pension and she's got a transfer balance account of 920000 set up from 1 July 17. Paul's got $1.62 million in an ABP and he's maxed out his transfer balance account, which is sitting at $1.6 million. So his balance has grown since 1 July 17. Now, this fund has disregarded small fund assets because Paul at 30 June of the prior year, had a total super balance of more than 1.6 and he was in retirement phase. So this fund must use the proportionate approach to claim ECPI and it's under the proportionate approach that we can make some decisions that will help maximise ECPI. Let's assume Paul unfortunately passes away on the 1st of November. His balance at that date is $1.64 million dollars and that they paid their minimum pensions as late in the year as possible, let's say the 28th of June. What would be the impact on ECPI if Paul's pension was automatically reversionary? Is it still possible to pay a pension to a member who has died within that year, within that financial year? To pay a pension to the, the beneficiary or yeah, the actual pensioner who passed away? Yeah, to the pensioner who has passed away. Oh, you mean a pension? So if I <laughs> passed away in January but we hadn't done anything by the time we got to June, could a pension payment have come out in February? Yes. Is that what you mean? So if it was a reversionary income stream, it would just automatically move across to the wife so or the partner. So, yes, the payments would, can just keep coming out. But they now go to the um, surviving spouse. Because they now own that pension, yeah. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't automatically reversionary, then it's just sitting there waiting to be decided as to how it's paid, whether it be a death benefit pension or a lump sum or a combination. The way that works is that if payment did come out, then technically that would be like a first lump sum payment to the estate or the beneficiaries. Okay, so no payments after the I don't think you're meant to, no. And what happens if no pension payments have been made yet to the member who died? Yeah, that's okay. So if you haven't met your minimum pension standard by the time someone passes away in the year, that pension will still meet the pension standards for that year. That's okay. The ATO are okay. You don't need to uh, make a catch-up payment or anything for that scenario. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. If it's a reversionary pension, though, because the pension never stops because it just keeps going, it does. they do need to make sure they meet their pensions for the whole year. Yes, so yep. the wife then needs to make the pension make payment. Make the rest of the pension or the, payment. Or the, the surviving partner. Correct, yes. we were considering a case where Paul's pension was reversionary. Now, he passed away on the 1st of November with a balance of $1.64 million. The first thing we note is that if the pension is automatically reversionary, then we don't need to report anything for T-bar yet. We have until the 1st of November the following year, 2019, to report that balance of $1.64 million for Paul's wife, Jill. So she actually doesn't need to do anything until... 1 November or until, yeah, until 1 November 2019. So by the 1st of November 2019, she will need to do some commutations because we know she's got 970000 in an account-based pension with a transfer balance account of 920000 and she's about to receive $1.64 million. And we know she can only have a transfer balance account of $1.64 million. So prior to 1 November 2019, Jill needs to commute 920000 from her account-based pension to accumulation. That will create a debit against her transfer balance account, bringing it back to zero. 
why don't we commute 970,000, the entire value, and put her TBA into a negative minus 50? We could if we want to, and then we can receive the 40,000 into the pension. Yep. So it's basically you can either put Jill's TBA into a minus or you just bring Jill's TBA to zero and then play around a bit more with Paul's TBA. Correct. So in this case, Jill is commuting 920000 so that she can receive a pension of one6 at the 1st of November 2019 when she gets that 1.64 transfer balance account. But that would mean that she hasn't got any further space and would need to take $40,000 of that reversionary income stream paid out as a lump sum. So that also creates a debit of $40,000. You're correct that if Jill had commuted an additional $40,000 from her account-based pension, so commuted $960,000, that would take her transfer balance account negative and she could receive the full 1.64. It depends whether she wants to keep that money in the superannuation system, uh, that $40,000 in accumulation, or whether she's happy to take that out as a lump sum. You could do either of those. So she still ends up with $1.6 million in pension. It's just whether that extra $40,000 is in accumulation based on her commutation from her income stream or whether it's taken out of the fund and she might like to spend it. I see. Yeah. So if she commutes her 970000 then she can keep the 40000 in accumulation. But if she commutes only her 920000 and she then needs to commute the 40000 that are coming from Paul. And pay then, it out. And so then she needs to pay those 40000 yeah, out. Yeah, because the death benefit can't be commuted to accumulation. So mm-hmm. she'd have to pay it as a lump sum. I see. Yeah. And in fact, she wouldn't need to commute the whole 970 to do that. Only Just enough to fit 40000 So only 960 Yeah. So then what that would do is at the 1st of November 2019, she would have her initial transfer balance account of 920000 Let's say she does commute 920, that reduces it back to zero. She gets another commutation. Let's say she pays that 40000 from the reversionary ABP out as a lump sum. That takes her minus 40000 And then the transfer balance account report of the reversionary income stream hits with a plus $1.64 million, giving her a total transfer balance account of $1.6 million. So there's a few transactions to think about there and, and which way you go may depend on, on Jill's preference for whether she wants that money in the accumulation or whether she's happy to take that as a lump sum. But we end up with $1.6 million and the rest in accumulation. And we need to make sure that happens prior to the 1st of November 2019 so that when that $1.64 million hit happens on the 1st of November, it doesn't raise an excess transfer balance for Jill. But the benefit of the reversionary income stream here is she does have that 12-month period to get all her ducks in a row and those commutations. So for the 17-18, so the 18-19 financial year, what this means is that the SMSF remains solely in retirement phase. We've got that $1.62 million in pension. We've got her ABP fully in pension. We're 100% tax exempt. But we still need an actuarial certificate, remember, because the fund has disregarded small fund assets. So you will need your actuarial certificate to claim that ECPI for the fund, but it will be 100% tax exempt. Obviously, in the following 1920 financial year, the fund will need an actuarial certificate. Because of those commutations, we will have an accumulation balance for Jill. And so the actuarial certificate is basically just to show the ATO that we didn't play the segregation game, that we didn't segregate assets. Yeah, well, it's to show them that you haven't used the segregated method and you've used the proportionate method, but it will just say 100% tax exempt. Yeah. 
So our second option, that's that was assuming that Paul's pension was automatically reversionary. The other option is if that pension was not set up as automatically reversionary. Well, we're still going to have to do all of those transactions for Jill to make sure she doesn't have an excess transfer balance, but we need to do all this as soon as practicable because it's not an automatically reversionary income stream. We need to pay that death benefit as soon as practical. And in this case, it will be, let's say, a combination of a death benefit income stream and a lump sum because we know death benefits can't be committed to accumulation phase. They need to be paid as a lump sum if we're going to take them in a way that is not a retirement phase income stream. So we commute, again, Jill's pension, let's say 920000 back to accumulation, report that debit. We commence a death benefit income stream with $1.6 of the non-reversionary account-based pension of Paul's, and we need to take 40000 as a lump sum death benefit because we can only accept $1.6 as a new retirement phase income stream. And we can't commute a death benefit into accumulation. Correct. Yeah, we can't commute any of that 1.64 to accumulation. So because it's not an automatically reversionary income stream, we could, if we kept the whole thing as a death benefit income stream, again, yeah, we'd end up with 1.64, but we can't have 1.64 in retirement phase. We can't put that 40000 back to accumulation, so we'd need to pay it out. But we would still have the option that Jill converts 960000 and then have Correct. enough space. Yeah, so if Jill goes, oh, hang on, I do want $1.6 million in pension, I will commute back 960000 which would have a minus 40000 on her transfer balance account, and then she could accept the one64 So then Jill's transfer balance account ends up at one6 again, and we've either got that 40000 extra sitting in accumulation or outside as a lump sum. But the main impact here for exempt current pension income is that we have to do this as soon as practicable. Not only has Jill had to deal with the unfortunate death of her husband, she had to do all of these commutations, but she's now also receiving an exempt income proportion for the 18-19 year of 77.5% in this case. So that means around 23% of her income is assessable in this year of death. Whereas if the pension was automatically reversionary, it remained 100% tax exempt until the following financial year. So a reversionary pension is usually has a greater tax advantage than a non-reversionary pension. From an ECPI perspective, yes, your reversionary income stream will give you that extra 12 months in retirement phase before you need to enact any commutations. Of course, there's other reasons why you might consider having or not having a reversionary income stream, but from an exempt income perspective, the reversionary income stream may lead to a higher exempt income outcome. If a fund has a large asset, let's say a fund has a building in the fund and they have it in accumulation and then they move fully into retirement phase, if they now sell this asset, mm -hmm. it's 100% exempt. So basically one should only sell assets when one hits retirement phase. If they're in a gain position, yes. We had an SMSF with a member who was told us they were going to retire in the year and they wanted to sell one of their properties to get some liquidity into the fund. Now, if they sold the asset, so they're in accumulation, they sold the asset and they come to us and say, okay, I'm going to retire now. A strategy we can think about is maintaining a small accumulation balance. So leaving $10 behind in accumulation when we move them into retirement phase because that will keep the fund from having a deemed period and will keep it under the proportionate method over the whole year. And that will mean those retirement phase liabilities are not deemed and will count towards the exempt income proportion. So in, say, this example, it would be 75% tax exempt 
even though the property capital gain was incurred when you're in accumulation phase only. Conversely, if they come to us mid-year and say, I'm going to retire and they haven't sold the asset yet, yes, let's move everything into pension, create a deemed period, and the asset would be sold when they're 100% in retirement, 100% tax exempt. And it's much better to sell when you're 100% tax exempt, isn't it? Yeah, so if you can control that, then you can you can help clients think strategically around when they sell assets. Conversely, though, if it was a loss, we don't want it in that deemed period. We would want to have an accumulation balance. So if we know we're going to sell an asset in the year, but the member wants to retire, well, leave $10 behind in, in accumulation phase. And that means when they sell that asset, you might get 90% tax exempt for your other income, but it will mean you can carry forward that loss because it was earned in a fund that was not in a deemed position. So as a, as a rough rule of thumb, when you have a capital asset and you anticipate to make a capital gain, then sell when you're 100% in retirement phase. And when you have an asset where you think you will make a capital loss, try to sell before you go into retirement phase. Or strategically keep some money in accumulation. Yeah, yeah. and keep some money in accumulation. So it's more about planning ahead, knowing what your clients are looking to do with their assets next year because it's those lumpy gains or losses where the timing makes a difference and go, okay, well, because they may say, well, I definitely want to retire on the 3rd of August on my 65th birthday. Well, you can still make plans so that depending on when they sell the asset, you either move everything or not quite everything into retirement phase and that helps optimise your tax outcome. You don't want to get to the end of the year because we know the tax office are really looking for people to be documented in advance. They don't want decisions made in arrears. So part of our conversation each year with our clients should be, well, what's happening next year with you? Are you looking to retire? Are you looking to take lots of money out? Are you going to start a pension? And what are you doing with your assets? Yeah, so what's your plan for these assets over the next year, the next two years? And then you can work with that to try and help plan that strategically to maximise your exempt income. When you're looking to maximise ECPI, remember that we want to plan in advance with our clients, talk to them about what they're planning to do over the next financial year. Think about when we time our transactions, our capital gains and losses, so that we can help clients maximise ECPI. Welcome back. So we need to pay close attention to the timing of large transactions like the sale of real estate. In the next episode, episode 86, Meg Heffron of Heffron SMSF Solutions will talk about the timing of non-concessional contributions and the bring forward rules. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for supporting us all. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Bye.